द लॉ स्कूल ऑफ अमेरिका Alienation of affections is a common law tort abolished in many jurisdictions where it still exists an action is brought by a spouse against a third party alleged to be responsible for damaging the marriage most often resulting in divorce the defendant in an alienation of affection suit is typically an adulterous spouse's lover although family members counselors and therapists or clergy members who have advised a spouse to seek divorce have also been sued for alienation of affections The tort of alienation of affections often overlaps with another heart bomb tort, criminal conversation. Alienation of affections has most in common with the tort of tortious interference, where a third party can be held liable for interfering with the contractual relationship between two parties. Legal requirements. An action for alienation of affection does not require proof of extramarital sex. An alienation claim is difficult to establish because it comprises several elements and there are several defenses. To succeed on an alienation claim, the plaintiff must show the following elements. 1. The marriage entailed love between the spouses to some degree. 2. The spousal love was alienated. 3. The defendant's malicious conduct contributed to or caused the loss of affection. It is not necessary to show that the defendant set out to destroy the marital relationship, but only that he or she intentionally engaged in acts which would foreseeably impact the marriage. Thus, The defendant has a defense against an alienation claim where it can be shown that he or she did not know that the object of his or her affections was in fact married. It is not a defense that the guilty spouse consented to the defendant's conduct, but it might be a defense that the defendant was not the active and aggressive seducer. If the defendant's conduct was somehow inadvertent, the plaintiff would be unable to show intentional or malicious action. But prior marital problems do not establish a defense unless such unhappiness has reached a level of negating love between the spouses. Australia. Alienation of affection actions in Australia stopped being good law since 1975 with the passing of the Family Law Act 1975. In the new system outlined by the statute, there exists a faultless ground of divorce and that is an irretrievable breakdown of a marriage, which is evidenced by 12 months of separation. Spousal behavior though can be a consideration a court may take into account during a property settlement. Canada. The Supreme Court of Canada held that alienation of affection and the related tort cause of action for criminal conversation was not available as a cause of action in the year 1962 in the case of Kungavishifer. The basis for the claim by the party suing in an Ontario case had been that Canada incorporated by reference the law of England as of the year 1792. But the Supreme Court of Canada held that England did not recognize that tort in the year 1792, so it was not a part of the law of Canada. United States. As of 2016, alienation of affection was recognized in six United States jurisdictions: Hawaii, North Carolina, Mississippi, New Mexico, South Dakota, and Utah. The US Supreme Court has declined to consider the constitutionality of such torts by writ of certiorari. Notwithstanding academic commentary suggesting that these torts are unconstitutional under the United States Constitution and relevant modern precedents decided based upon it, including Obergefell v. Hodges that struck down laws prohibiting same-sex marriage in the United States, the U.S. Supreme Court has addressed the tort in several cases that did not question the constitutionality of tort, including U.S. v. Kaiser, 1960, dissenting opinion, tax treatment of damages awards, likes v. U.S. 1952 tax deductions for litigation costs share of e sharer 1948 dissenting opinion 
full faith and credit afforded to divorce judgments, Shepard v. U.S., 1933, Admissibility of Evidence, Tinker v. Colwell, 1904, Availability of Discharge of Damages Awards in Bankruptcy, Waldron v. Waldron, 1895, Preservation of Objections to Evidence when Transcripts from a Related Proceeding are Introduced. The U.S. Supreme Court has never granted certiorari on the constitutionality of the tort. The tort of alienation of affection was inherited as part of the common law. The law was codified in some states, the first one being New York with legislation in 1864, and similar legislation existed in many U.S. states in the late 19th and early 20th centuries. Since 1935, this tort has been abolished in 42 states, including New York and Illinois. Most states have abolished the action by legislation, but some came to an end by judicial review. For example, in 1927, actions for alienation of affection were abolished in Louisiana as a result of Mulan v. Monteleone. Reference also South Carolina case Russo v. Sutton, 1992, abolishing the heart bomb action for alienation of affection. Hawaii In Hawaii, the plaintiff has to prove his spouse did not seek the defendant, and has to show a lack of any marital fault. Mississippi In 2007, the Mississippi Supreme Court, in Fitch v. Valentine, in which the cheated husband, Johnny Valentine, received $750,000, upheld the constitutionality of the state's alienation of affection law. New Mexico The law was confirmed in 1999 by the New Mexico Supreme Court, although the field was heavily restricted, the courts viewed this cause of action with disfavor. North Carolina Alienation of affection and criminal conversation lawsuits are allowed in North Carolina. It is estimated that over 200 alienation of affection cases are filed in North Carolina each year. Million-dollar verdicts have not been uncommon in North Carolina for alienation of affection and emotional distress. In March 2010, a wife won a $9 million suit against her husband's mistress. A Mecklenburg County jury awarded $1.4 million in May 2001 to a former wrestling coach against P. After the coach's wife left him for P, the jury verdict was later reduced by the North Carolina Court of Appeals as excessive. A year 2000 verdict of $86,250 for alienation of affections and $15,000 for criminal conversation in the case of Far v. Beck, from Burke County was upheld on appeal. In 1997, in the case of Hotel Meyer v. Cox, the plaintiff wife was awarded $1 million against her husband's secretary who dressed sexy at work and had an affair with him destroying their marriage. In 2011, Betty Devon was ordered to pay $30 million to Carol per year for alienating Donald per year from her, causing their divorce. In North Carolina such lawsuits can be filed only for conduct prior to a separation, although, prior to changes in the law which went into effect in October 2009, the tort of criminal conversion applied to post-separation conduct as well. The North Carolina legislature has repeatedly had bills to abolish the tort introduced, and declined to do so. In 2009, the General Assembly approved legislation which placed some additional limits on such lawsuits. The bill was signed into law by Governor Bev Perdue on August 3, 2009, and is codified under Chapter 52 of the North Carolina General Statutes. Section 52-13 Procedures and Causes of Action for Alienation of Affection and Criminal Conversation a. No act of the defendant shall give rise to a cause of action for alienation of affection or criminal conversation that occurs after the plaintiff and the plaintiff's spouse physically separate with the intent of either the plaintiff or plaintiff's spouse that the physical separation remain permanent. 
b. An action for alienation of affection or criminal conversation shall not be commenced more than three years from the last act of the defendant giving rise to the cause of action. c. A person may commence a cause of action for alienation of affection or criminal conversation against a natural person only. An alienation of affection suit may be brought against an employer if one of these three circumstances is evident. 1. The employer authorized the employee's acts. 2. The employee's acts were committed within the scope of his employment and in furtherance of the employer's business, or 3. The employer ratifies the employee's acts. Each of the three limitations arose from a recent North Carolina legal case involving the tort. 1. In Jones v. Skelly, NC App. 2009, the North Carolina Court of Appeals had held that the tort applies even to legally separated spouses. 2. In Messenheimer v. Boris, North Carolina, 2006, the North Carolina Supreme Court held that the statute of limitation commences when the affair should have been discovered rather than when it occurred. 3. In Smith v. Lee, 2007, the Federal District Court for the Western District of North Carolina noted that the question of whether an employer could be held liable for an affair conducted by an employee, for example, while on a business trip for the employer, was still unsettled in North Carolina. There is often confusion over where an employee's scope of employment ends. An example of this would be a minister having sex with a person that has been receiving counseling services from that minister. In theory the minister is acting within the scope of employment because it is their duty to provide these counseling services and it is through these services that they gain access to the victim. In 2014, resident Superior Court Judge John O. Craig dismissed the case of Rothrock v. Cook, ruling that the state's criminal conversion and alienation of affection laws were unconstitutional, infringing upon First and Fourteenth Amendment rights in the U.S. Constitution. That case was not appealed. In 2017, the North Carolina Court of Appeals, in a different case, ruled that the common law cause of action of alienation of affection was not facially invalid under the First and Fourteenth Amendments. In 2017 the North Carolina Court of Appeals ruled in a 3-0 decision to uphold the constitutionality of the tort. South Dakota In 2002 the law was reworded to be gender neutral, allowing wives to sue another woman. A man was awarded $950,000, later reduced to $400,000, in a 2002 case in which a South Dakota jury ruled that an orthopedic surgeon from Las Vegas had enticed the man's wife into an affair and had broken up their marriage. In 2007 it was ruled that defenders in cases of alienation of affection were not entitled to be covered by their insurances, as this is an intentional tort. Punitive damages are limited to 20% of the defendant's worth. Utah both in 1983 and eight years later in 1991, the Utah Supreme Court confirmed the legality of such claims, although Justice Christine M. Durham dissented in both cases, describing alienation of affection as an anachronistic holdover from a bygone era, which modern rationalizations have failed to justify. However, in the 1991 ruling, they disallowed criminal conversation claims the same court confirmed alienation of affections as a cause of action in 2002. Among the notables cases were Jason Miles Williams, who attempted several times to sue the Fundamentalist Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints leadership for causing his divorce by saying his wife would be damned if she did not divorce and Janice Peck suing the Utah Division of Wildlife Resources after her husband left her for his new wife he met while posing as a couple to track poachers. Now a word from our sponsor, the Law School of America. Malicious prosecution is a common law intentional tort. 
While like the tort of abusive process, its elements include, 1. Intentionally, and maliciously, instituting and pursuing, or causing to be instituted or pursued, a legal action, civil or criminal, that is, 2. Brought without probable cause and, 3. Dismissed in favor of the victim of the malicious prosecution. In some jurisdictions, the term malicious prosecution denotes the wrongful initiation of criminal proceedings, while the term malicious use of process denotes the wrongful initiation of civil proceedings. Criminal prosecuting attorneys and judges are protected from tort liability for malicious prosecution by doctrines of prosecutorial immunity and judicial immunity. Moreover, the mere filing of a complaint cannot constitute an abuse of process. The parties who have abused or misused the process have gone beyond merely filing a lawsuit. The taking of an appeal, even a frivolous one, is not enough to constitute an abuse of process. The mere filing or maintenance of a lawsuit, even for an improper purpose, is not a proper basis for an abuse of process action. Declining to expand the tort of malicious prosecution, a unanimous California Supreme Court in the case of Sheldon Opel Company v. Albert and Olicker, 1989, observed. While the filing of frivolous lawsuits is certainly improper and cannot in any way be condoned, in our view the better means of addressing the problem of unjustified litigation is through the adoption of measures facilitating the speedy resolution of the initial lawsuit and authorizing the imposition of sanctions for frivolous or delaying conduct within that first action itself, rather than through an expansion of the opportunities for initiating one or more additional rounds of malicious prosecution litigation after the first action has been concluded. Origins the tort originates in the, now defunct, legal maxim that the king pays no costs, that is, the crown could not be forced to pay the legal costs of a person it prosecuted, even if that person was found innocent. As the London Magazine stated in 1766, if a groundless and vexatious prosecution be commenced in the king's name, his ministers who commenced, or advised commencing that prosecution, ought at least to be obliged to pay the costs which an innocent subject has thereby been put to. U.S. Use of English Rule 16 U.S. states require another element of malicious prosecution. This element, commonly called the English Rule, states that, in addition to fulfilling all other malicious prosecution elements, one must also prove injury other than the normal downside of being sued. This rule is limited to equitable damages, such as loss of profit, and excludes damages that cannot be measured by the law, for example, damage to reputation. Canadian Law Canadian jurisprudence has changed in that if any individual takes legal action that meets the above criteria, they may be sued. Legal action may be taken against the police or crown attorneys or the attorney general, as they are no longer exempt from suit. The tort of malicious prosecution was recently reviewed in 2009 by the Supreme Court of Canada in Miyazgavik Bayo Estate, and specifically how it applied to public prosecutors in Canada. The court outlined the four required elements for the tort of malicious prosecution i. The prosecution must be initiated by the defendant. 2. The prosecution must be terminated in the plaintiff's favor. 3. There was a lack of reasonable and probable grounds to commence or continue the prosecution. And 4. The defendant was motivated to commence or continue the prosecution due to malice. In 2014, the Quebec Court of Appeal held that the contents of plea bargaining negotiations held in the context of criminal cases could be admitted as evidence in the context of a civil suit for malicious prosecution, despite the general evidentiary rule prohibiting adducing settlement discussions into proof at trial. More specifically, 
The court held that introducing into evidence the contents of such negotiations was possible when it tended to demonstrate that the prosecution initiated or maintained criminal charges on the basis of improper motives. Limitations Notably, the tort of malicious prosecution only protects the right of defendants to be free of frivolous lawsuits brought by malicious plaintiffs. For a variety of reasons grounded in public policy, courts have consistently refused to authorize the converse, a tort of malicious defense which would protect the right of plaintiffs to be free of frivolous defenses raised by defendants. Abusive process is the unjustified or unreasonable use of legal proceedings or process to further a cause of action by an applicant or plaintiff in an action. It is a claim made by the respondent or defendant that the other party is misusing or perverting a regularly issued court process, civil or criminal, not justified by the underlying legal action. In common law it is classified as an intentional tort. It is to be distinguished from malicious prosecution, another type of tort that involves misuse of the public right of access to the courts. The elements of a valid cause of action for abuse of process in most common law jurisdictions are as follows. 1. The existence of an ulterior purpose or motive underlying the use of process, and, 2. Some act in the use of the legal process not proper in the regular prosecution of the proceedings. Abuse of process can be distinguished from malicious prosecution, in that abuse of process typically does not require proof of malice, lack of probable cause in procuring issuance of the process, or a termination favorable to the plaintiff, all of which are essential to a claim of malicious prosecution. Process, as used in this context, includes not only the service of process, for example, an official summons or other notice issued from a court, but means any method used to acquire jurisdiction over a person or specific property that is issued under the official seal of a court. Typically, the person who abuses the process is interested only in accomplishing some improper purpose that is collateral to the proper object of the process and that offends justice, such as an unjustified arrest or an unfounded criminal prosecution. Subpoenas to testify, attachments of property, executions on property, garnishments, and other provisional remedies are among the types of process considered to be capable of abuse. Principle The principles which led to a finding of an abuse of process in the UK were stated in Johnson v. Gore Wood and Company by Lord Bingham. The underlying public interest is, that there should be finality in litigation and that a party should not be twice vexed in the same matter. This public interest is reinforced by the current emphasis on efficiency and economy in the conduct of litigation, in the interests of the parties and the public as a whole. The bringing of a claim or the raising of a defense in later proceedings may, without more, amount to abuse if the court is satisfied, the onus being on the party alleging abuse, that the claim or defense should have been raised in the earlier proceedings if it was to be raised at all. I would not accept that it is necessary, before abuse may be found to identify any additional elements such as a collateral attack on a previous decision or some dishonesty, but where those elements are present the later proceedings will be much more obviously abusive, and there will rarely be a finding of abuse unless the later proceeding involves what the court regards as unjust harassment of a party. It is, however, wrong to hold that because a matter could have been raised in earlier proceedings it should have been, so as to render the raising of it in later proceedings necessarily abusive. That is to adopt too dogmatic an approach to what should in my opinion be a broad, merits-based judgment which takes account of the public and private interests involved and also takes account of all the facts of the case, focusing attention on the crucial question whether, in all the circumstances, a party is misusing or abusing the process of the court by seeking to raise before it the issue which could have been raised before. As one cannot comprehensively list all possible forms of abuse, so one cannot formulate any hard and fast rule to determine whether, 
on given facts, abuse is to be found or not, properly applied, and whatever the legitimacy of its dissent, the rule has in my view a valuable part to play in protecting the interests of justice. Distinguished from malicious prosecution A cause of action for abuse of process is similar to the action for malicious prosecution in that both actions are based on and involve the improper use of the courts and legal systems. The primary difference between the two legal actions is that malicious prosecution concerns the malicious or wrongful commencement of an action, while, on the other hand, abuse of process concerns the improper use of the legal process after the process has already been issued and a suit has commenced. In abuse of process, the legal process is misused for some purpose which is considered improper under the law. Thus technically, the service of process itself, in the form of a summons, could be considered abuse of process under the right circumstances, for example, fraudulent or malicious manipulation of the process itself, but in malicious prosecution, the wrongful act is the actual filing of the suit itself for improper and malicious reasons. The three requirements of malice, lack of probable cause in the issuance of the process, and a termination of the prior proceeding favorable to the plaintiff, are essential elements for malicious prosecution. Most jurisdictions do not require any of these three elements in order to make out a prima facie case for abuse of process. Illustration A cause of action for abuse of process may lie in situations where a criminal proceeding is brought against a defendant for improper motives. For example, in Later v. Benkowitz, a pleading was held to state a good cause of action for abuse of process when it alleged that the defendant hotel owner had threatened to have the plaintiff arrested on a warrant issued at the behest of the defendant on a charge of disorderly conduct. The allegedly improper motive was the hotel owner's underlying purpose of compelling plaintiff to pay a bill owed for plaintiff's alleged rental of a room in defendant's hotel. It was claimed that through the unlawful use of the warrant and threat of arrest, the defendant was able to obtain the sum of money allegedly owed by the plaintiff. In denying the defendant's motion to dismiss, the court admonished that it was sufficient to show that regularly issued process had been used to accomplish an improper purpose in order to set forth a cause of action for abuse of process. The fact that the plaintiff had yielded to the defendant's threat to have her arrested under the warrant did not diminish the cause of action, because it was clear that the plaintiff actually had been arrested for the purpose of compelling her to pay the cost of the room. The tort of breach of confidence is, in United States law, a common law tort that protects private information that is conveyed in confidence. A claim for breach of confidence typically requires the information to be of a confidential nature, which was communicated in confidence and was disclosed to the detriment of the claimant. Establishing a breach of confidentiality depends on proving the existence and breach of a duty of confidentiality. Courts in the U.S. look at the nature of the relationship between the parties. Most commonly, Breach of confidentiality applies to the patient-physician relationship but it can also apply to relationships involving banks, hospitals, and insurance companies and many others. There is no tort of breach of confidence in other common law jurisdictions such as the United Kingdom or Australia, however, there is an equitable doctrine of breach of confidence. The Law School of America This has been a Creative Commons licensed podcast. The content used in the podcast is licensed by the Wikimedia Foundation incorporated under a Creative Commons attribution, share alike license. The text has been modified for audio. The content of these podcasts is for informational purposes only and do not constitute professional advice. These podcasts are not associated with the Wikimedia Foundation in any context. The Law School of America. Mm-hmm.